This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Wäre es okay, wenn wir jetzt aufnehmen? Ja, soll ich irgendwas machen oder machst du das alles? Nee, ich mag das alles über mich, wollte ja alles gut. Uh, okay, this is, this is weird, this is literally the first time I'm speaking English to you. That's fine. Uh, I know it's fine for you. It's just uh, always a very interesting feeling to s switch languages for with people I'm used to with a certain language from uh, earlier on. How have you been, Maranke? I'm good. Um, yeah, I've been. I'm in, living in Cologne now. Nice. So um, for a year almost. Right. And we're settling in a little bit, but things are going good. And I mean, things are slowing down of course the last couple of weeks um but there are some concerts here and there happening and cologne is pretty loose i feel like compared to other states and mm. or cities so yeah i'm just trying to enjoy summer and practice and hang <laughs> beautiful sounds great we'll just start off with thanks for coming on i really appreciate it Of course. It's been ages. I remember um, it's, I kind of start off the podcast with a, a bit of a reminiscence on where I meet the guests. In our case, it was one of the quirkiest gigs you've probably played in your life. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a tiny little village in the south of Germany where you were sitting in very graciously for a drummer who couldn't make it to the gig. Uh, and uh, I remember thinking and... Uh, I'm just going to be candid about this because by now the, the band doesn't really exist anymore. And I remember thinking, man, this, this is who we want to have on drums for the rest of the thing. And they, the guys were like, nah, 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 we can't do that. They're a drum. But, I, I, but point being, I really love the way you play. And I, 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 I felt like, uh, like from the very first note on that you always had something very unique. It was, um, it's rare, I find, if I may say so, for Uh, a lot of drummers, especially at that phase of life, you know, the circles we were in, you were one of the people where I felt, uh, you know, you always had your your signature when you played. And um, I'm very happy for the way, about the way things have progressed since then. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that, that was must have been really a long time ago, no? I feel like um, at least... At least know. a decade, at least a decade now. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So tell, fill us in. What's been happening since? What happened since well, that amazing yeah. gig in south of Germany? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like it was in the beginning when I when I moved to Mannheim. Yeah. I, I undergrad in Mannheim, so I think it was like maybe 2008 or something like that, or nine, something like that. Because I, I started. So yeah, I moved to Mannheim in 2007 to do my undergrad, and. Yeah, so then I was two years in Mannheim and then I did an Erasmus exchange program for a year in Copenhagen. Right. And yeah, so I did my third year in Copenhagen, then I returned to Mannheim for my fourth year and I did my bachelor's in 2011. Hmm. Um, and 
I still enrolled for the master's program for one year, but with the idea to do my second year of my master's program in New York with, with the DAAD scholarship. Because back then, you only got the scholarship for one year. So they send you abroad and they pay for tuition fees and for living expenses and all that. So it's an amazing program. Wow. And I knew that program through Rainer Böhm, who has the professorship for piano now in Mannheim. Yeah, I remember. So yeah, he was in New York and I actually visited him in New York and yeah, I fell in love with the city immediately. So I really wanted to do that, that, that as well. Um, but yeah, I had the idea to do one year in Mannheim and to do my second year in New York and then come back to my to, to do just like the exam in Mannheim to do my master's in Mannheim. Um, but then once I was there, so I moved to New York in 2012 and once I was there, I, I just wanted to stay. I really wanted to stay. It was amazing. The city was amazing. The school was cool. I, I got a lot of opportunities. I was playing. I met so many people. So I tried, I reapplied for the second year to try to do my master's or my exam in New York, not in Mannheim anymore. And I got the second year scholarship as well. So awesome. then I stayed in second year in, in New York and I went to New York University um, and then in 2014 after that two-year program at NYU I did my master's in New York but I was still all the time I was still enrolled in Mannheim and, yeah and the funny thing was that the exam itself was exactly the same in Mannheim and in New York so I decided to do my exam just normally in New York and then do the same exam just a couple of weeks later in Germany. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, when I was in tour, on tour in Germany with a band from Germany as well, and so I asked them if they want to play in my exam concert in Mannheim. And, you know, I did all the classes before that I had to do in Mannheim, and the ones that were left, they kind of acknowledged them from New York. So I didn't have any classes left. Um, yeah, and then I did the same concert and the same exam in Mannheim, and I ended up with two masters. <laughs> That was that was a funny coincidence. Talk about overachievers, huh? Yeah, <laughs> well, might as well. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all, and I, I mean that sincerely. You know, and no, no hint of sarcasm at all. Um, <laughs> it, it's crazy. A lot of people don't know about this whole Mannheim, New York connection. There have been so many uh, exchange students over the years, haven't they? Um, well, that's because I mean. The connection itself doesn't have anything to do with Mannheim because it's like it's a um, DAAD, it's German Exchange Service. It's um, from the government, basically a program from the government to send people abroad to do their masters out, okay. of, the, um, out of the country. Um, but Michael Kuttner, my former professor mm -hmm. in Mannheim, he's in the panel. Ah, so he tells the students and the ones you know the ones he, he thinks that might suitable for the program he tells them to apply um that's why there are yeah a couple of people from from Mannheim going to oh, new york okay. gotcha uh, well shout out to michael kutner i love that guy Just yeah. sign um, so tell us about your first uh, impressions of new york i mean i've um i've I've heard of this experience of, you know, it's the kind of city which you either love or you hate, and the love is a long-term thing. It's, you kind of yeah. love it for life. So tell us about your earliest experiences when you first landed. What, is, what was it about the energy that, that affected you the way it did? 
Well, I mean, New York is definitely a love-hate relationship, and yeah. it's still, I, I feel like it, that won't change, and it's the same with me. I, in one part, I love it, and on one part, I hate it. <laughs> but when I first came to New York, I was just amazed. I was, um, I loved it a lot, and it was so different to anything else I ever seen, to Germany, to Europe, to so completely different, and. Uh, amount of musicians and the level of musicianship was so incredibly high mm. you could hear concerts or you, yeah you could hear concerts every night but like may, maybe 10 different concerts every night for um, of amazing bands sometimes i didn't even know where to go but i basically went to a show every night and um, i played so many jam sessions and met many many people and of course you had the school as a safe environment where you could go and practice and invite people over for sessions and stuff like that so you always had that as a home base more or less mm -hmm. and from there so NYU is located in in Newtown or well um, Greenwich Village close to Greenwich Village um, so it was located pretty perfectly because most of the jazz clubs are in Manhattan, are in Greenwich Village. So I just, you know, I was in school all day and practicing, gotcha. doing classes, rehearsing and stuff like that. And then at night, I would just walk over to any of those jazz clubs. Wow. And yeah, it was just amazing. Good life. And yeah, good life, exactly. <laughs> and you, had, you know, you didn't have so much, I didn't have so much money, but I had a little bit from the scholarship, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I really enjoyed just being a student and there were no things that I had to worry about. It was just like living in this little jazz, New York jazz bubble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that was amazing for two years and then it completely changed. And yeah, so those two years to my other four years, so I, I spent, in total, I spent six years in New York and um, those two years in school, they were totally different from my other four years. I can imagine. Um, did you, um, I like how you used the word safe when you described the environment in which you were um, at the university where, where you say you were practicing. May I ask you, when you use that, what do you refer to the psychological aspects of it or just the artistic aspect of it or were you just referring to it being like a safe zone in by New York standards. Yeah, but being in a city zone and you know not have to worry about making money and uh, and has around and and stuff like that because you know it was kind of like my um, my home base in a way in the city in Manhattan where I could just I could just go there and and take a room if I wanted to practice or if I, I could leave my stuff there and then go somewhere else or I could invite a, I could invite friends for sessions you know so whatever I wanted to do. I was able to do at in NYU at the institution there. Beautiful. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Um, what were your first experiences with your co-musicians? Were these musicians you'd never played with before? Or did you have some familiar faces around as well? Um, well, we were, um, I believe, back then, eight people from Germany co going to New York with the same scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, and... Off of those eight people, I think we were um, four musicians, students that chose NYU. Mm -hmm. So in my year, I knew, well, but I actually I met them in New York. I, I knew of them, and obviously I knew that they were gonna go to New York as well. But I we actually met in New York. 
So when I moved there, I didn't know anybody, literally. I met all of the people there. And um, yeah, at NYU, it was like a mix through all the, the school grades. Mm-hmm. So classes with undergrads and with master's students. So it was kind of kind of mixed up, more mixed up than in Germany, I would say. Beautiful. Well, you made a pretty badass transition from student, exchange student, to a very well-respected and celebrated band leader and composer and recording artist. Could you take us through that journey, that transition? I know it's like probably a lot of, uh, you know, uh, experiences which went into it. And I don't want to rush, but, uh, you know, take us through. Okay. Um, Yeah. So the main core person to become a composer was Stefan Harris. And I started with him at NYU in my second year Mm -hmm. because I was always interested in composing music, but I never, I could never really um, measure composition or like being a drummer, obviously you never really deal with harmony. Of course you learn it in school, um, but you never apply it on the bandstand or rehearsing. Um, so for me, composition was always this mystery that I really liked, but I could never really access. Hmm. And Stefan, um, he has a system where he connects really emotions to harmony and for me, it was just like an aha moment because it made so much sense to connect emotions to it. And it, it was like I could grab it. You could grab it like anybody. Even if you're not a musician, you, you would feel the same hearing those harmonies if you if you follow the, the technique that he uses or the system. And um, yeah, so I was a student and he taught me this whole system. Um, that actually he brought a book out of it and he has a cloud, um, sorry, it's called Harmony Cloud, but it's an app that he built as well through, on the system. Wow. Is it available for everyone? Yeah, it's on, available for, for iPhone, for yeah. Apple, not for Android, I think, but for iPhone. It's called Harmony Cloud, but oh. that one is basically based on ear training, but it's the same system that he applies to composition. Beautiful. And Anyway, so I studied with him and he gave me lots of homework and I wrote song after song and he was pretty happy with the result. And yeah, after half a year, he said, man, you have your, you know, you have your graduation coming up. I want you to make, a, to get a band or get musicians to write music and then to record an album for your graduation. Sweet. And so me like crazy and he knew that I like to work and like to practice so he yeah he just pushed me pushed me through it and um, so that's what I did I I composed seven songs um, and I recorded it at the NYU Dolan studio they have their own recording studio Mm -hmm. and I got a band and actually Rich Perry was from the beginning he was in the band and um, yeah, it was my first experience being a band leader. I, did, I didn't know at all what to do. I didn't know how to communicate with my musicians, how to be a band leader, how to organize any of that. And it was, yeah, it was a learning experience. Nobody taught me what to do. And so That's so hard just... to believe when I listen to your music, if I may interrupt just for a second, because it really sounds so cohesive and it's very apparent that it's a very collective thing. Uh, it's not like, okay, here we go, you know, here's a bunch of themes and then someone plays over it and blows and, and you know, go back to thing. There's a very collective, engaged element to your music, which I really love. I've been listening to your album the whole week, by the way. 
FYI. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, a lot, no, lot of work, but maybe it's because I just like details. And when I compose a song, I arrange it immediately. Like I, like it's not a lead sheet or anything where I tell people, okay, try try all different things. Of course, that happens as well. But usually, um, I have a pretty clear idea of what I want from that piece, and and I give everyone, yeah, pretty clear uh, things to follow. May I ask you how you do that, please? Um, well, I mean, I, I compose a lot of the things through, like I, I don't know, like piano patterns, I, I write them down, actually, what I want to hear. And um, so and the whole arrangement is usually set before we play the song. I don't, sometimes I try it out and, and then I change it. But usually when I when I write a song, I write the whole thing, like I don't um, experiment with the musicians. It's like I, I usually have a clear picture in my head and I write it down and I don't bring it to the rehearsal before I'm not 100% sure this is the way it's going to sound like. Gotcha. So, so a lot of the parts are very specifically written out and arranged. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So it also takes me a while to, to write music, actually, because um, it's very detailed. And also my music is difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, I know, so. I know. It's very intricate and very eclectic and complex in a beautiful way. Yeah. But it wouldn't sound like that to the regular here, you know, unless you're, you've got that musician's brain in your head, always constantly analyzing stuff in the back of your head. You know, it sounds really it, organic, which is the beautiful thing about it all. Yeah, well, that's part of the system of Stefan Harris because it's all connected to emotions and it's nothing, um, well, it, it all, it's, it's not something that I analyze in a theoretical way and then I, I write it down or I say, okay, I want to, you know, like I'm interested in this theory aspect, so I'm going to write a song about it. It's all based on moods, based on emotions, based on certain chords that give you a certain feeling. And I think that's why it's um, more accessible to, to, to listen to. Yeah. Beautiful. How, how do you communicate these ideas to you? Oh, no, let me um, formulate that un, uh, otherwise. Um, I was actually recently talking to another friend of mine whose music uh, is kind of, uh, you know, the way she operates is very similar too. She's an avant-garde uh, composer who also has a lot of written out charts. And she was telling me about how she often struggles to convince her musicians to play what's actually written. Have you ever faced mm -hmm. challenges like that? Yeah, actually, yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, not those problems, but honestly, I... I didn't, I changed, in the beginning it took me a while to find the musicians I wanted to play with long term mm -hmm. and I think that's part of it because once I found them there were usually those musicians that I didn't have to con community, uh, communicate a lot mm -hmm. and that I was able to trust and they immediately did or played it in a way that I totally imagined, you know what I mean? It's absolutely, like I didn't, absolutely. I didn't have the necessity anymore to communicate a lot because they were just perfect for the music and for my taste. So yeah. I think that's my part of it too. Yeah, a wise um, man once said, uh, or wise person actually, uh, if, if, if you need to explain, you already know it's too late or it's, you know, you're not in the right room. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. And of course in New York you have an amazing amount of, of crazy good musicians, so you... 
you're able to choose really the musicians you want to play with. It's not like um, somewhere else where there's only, you know, five piano players or four and you have to, to take that one because only he's available for the gig or whatever. Yeah, I can imagine. It's like, you know, it's like the mecca of jazz. Mm-hmm. Much. Um, right, so you, you know, you're about to graduate. Stefan Harris said, I want you to record an album and this is your first stint as a band leader. Take us through what happens then. How was the experience? <laughs> Yeah, okay, so then I started booking some some shows and um, I booked some shows with that music in Germany, but then obviously hired a German musician because it was not possible to bring anybody over. Mm-hmm. And then I did my master's in Mannheim with my music as well. And I, yeah, I tried out a couple shows and stuff like that. Um, but then I was pretty much distracted by making money in New York because... Then in 2014, once I graduated, I didn't get any money anymore from the scholarship and I really wanted to stay in New York. And once you have a graduation, you can, and an artist and student visa, sorry, it's a student visa that you get. So once you graduated, you can, you can extend your student visa for one year. And during school, you're not allowed to work, but with this extension of the student visa, you are allowed to work. So after graduation, you can extend your student visa, and then with that student visa, you're allowed to work. So it's like a work um, experience resident kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to take the chance to try to survive in New York. Obviously, um, before, I thought I'd go back after my graduation. But at that time, um, things were going well, and I just wanted to see if I can make a living in New York and see. I, I had a couple of ideas that I still wanted to do in New York. So I really wanted to stay, but it was super difficult and the hardest time in my life because from one day to the other, I didn't have any money. Wow. <laughs> and had to pay rent, obviously, and rent is really high in New York. And I mean, everything is super expensive in New York, also yeah. food and, and like that so I really had to take care of that and then I kind of stopped my band and stopped everything just because I had to find a job and I had to make money somehow so that took a couple months actually until I was okay and I almost went back to Germany because I almost didn't make it so you so were so close time. to giving up and then the light happened exactly <laughs> kind of like that yeah. So I barely made it, and then maybe one year later, um, I was playing in lots of different bands. So I kind of, yeah, I it, like I kind of put my project aside, and I wanted to do a couple of other things in New York. And then it it was all it took quite some time until I restarted my band. So it was maybe in 2017 when I met Guillermo Klein. He's an Argentinian composer, amazing composer and musician. Uh, living in New York and I met him through a workshop and then took private lessons and he was another amazing mentor and became a great mentor and teacher, private teacher in composition. So I took a couple of classes with him and I was working on a project that I got commissioned for in Germany actually and it was 2017 and yeah so that way I got back into composition and writing music and then I really wanted to get my band back but with some new people because I wasn't so happy and I felt like I, I grew in a way and I felt like I knew more what I wanted to sound like or what the band should sound like 
Um, so I booked a couple shows here and there in New York and tried out different people. Rich Perry was always in there, by the way. Um, he's the only one who, and Alex Goodman, these are the only two people who stayed. So they're core members. Exactly. But I, I needed to try new people on piano and bass. And I was playing a lot at this jazz club, Cornelia Street Cafe mm-hmm. in Village. So that was great because I, yeah, I played there every couple of weeks and I could, could try out different people. Um, yeah, and then I met Glenn Saleski, my piano player, and Johannes Felcher. He's actually the German bass player from the German, the same town that I'm from. No way. <laughs> but we never met before. We, we met in New York. Yeah, it's kind of a funny coincidence. But which, is, which brings <laughs> me to a quick question. Where are you from? And this is actually a question I hate hearing myself because I remember, because <laughs> I also remember, I, I thought you, were, uh, you grew up in Norway. Well, yeah, as a kid, but I'm originally close to Nürn- from close to Nuremberg. Ah, gotcha. Okay. okay. I was born in Erlangen. Okay. Yeah. And so anyway, once I had those people together, I really wanted to record again or actually record because... The album I did through NYU and through my master's program was kind of an EP and it was basically my graduation project. So I didn't see it as a debut album or anything like that. Hmm. So anyway, in 2017, I decided to record and I was writing a lot of music for that band, trying it out on shows in New York and stuff like that. And then in 2018, uh, we recorded in June at Systems 2 Studio and in Brooklyn. One of my, yeah, I mean, it was my biggest dream actually to record in that studio. Wow. And leading up to that date, it was also like crazy times because a couple of weeks before, actually a couple of days before the recording date, my piano player, Glenn Sandesky, he broke his elbow. Oh, God. So he wasn't able to play. And then I thought about rescheduling, you know, that we just, we, we could record half a year later or something like that. But... A couple of days after that happened with the elbow, Systems 2 put out um, the news that they're going to close after our session. Oh, my God. That's crazy. So I was like, oh, man, I, I, can't re- I can't reschedule. I have to do it because otherwise I can't record at Systems 2. And it's a legendary studio. I, I really wanted, wanted to be there and... and and have that record made there. So, um, yeah, I was I was looking for a sub, and it was impossible because it was so last minute, and we had a recording date for two days. So I had to find someone who, first off, is able to learn all my music, and it's not, as I said, not the easiest thing to do. You can't sight-read it. Yeah. So I had to find someone who's really, you know, able, like who's willing to practice the music, uh, has time to rehearse, and has time to record those two days. Mm. And I called through so many piano players, and I wasn't lucky. <laughs> and then someone told me, hey, man, did you try Dan Tapfer? I could imagine that he would f- fit really well on your music. And I knew Dan, like, barely. I, I, I met him before, but we never played. So, And I knew that he, he plays with Lee Konitz and stuff like that. So I thought, like, nah, he's, going, he's busy. Like, he's touring all, all year, basically, and he's not going to have time. But by coincidence, and I called him and he said, like, yeah, man, he's in, he's in Brooklyn this whole week and he's pretty much free. So he has time to rehearse and he can look at the music and stuff like that. <laughs> and it was just, I was so in heaven because he made the whole thing possible and he learned the music overnight. Wow. Yeah, it was just 
incredible and he did an amazing job i'm super happy with the record damn it i am so intimidated when i hear a piano plays like that or any musicians who learn music like that overnight yeah yeah he did uh, i mean he's he's a crazy piano player and he really did everything he could to make it happen so i really appreciated that yeah record sounds amazing that is the record that's out right Metro metropolis metropolis paradise metro Met sorry i have a hanger Met metropolis <laughs> paradise yeah i have this every now and then um that that is the record right same record yeah that's the record yeah exactly yeah well, it sounds yeah, amazing it came out, yeah it came out um over a year later because of greenleaf music yeah. um hang on, let so me get, thought... jesus hang on so that record is you know so the guy playing piano on that learned the music overnight. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. That is bonkers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to come and meditate over that the next couple of days, but keep going. <laughs> I know. It's a pretty intense story, the whole thing. Yeah, um, tell me yeah, about it. It was just crazy also because we were at the studio and, you know, people came in to say bye to Nancy and Mike Marciano, the owners um because yeah literally after our session they closed their doors and they've been around for so long wow i'm getting goose pimples listening to this I and mean, that must have been such an emotional experience oh totally it was super emotional and like i was super i mean on the one hand i was so stressed out because i knew that then you know he's new and like nobody really knew him that well And I didn't know if it's going to work out or if he really learned the music, you know, and how, how he's, yeah, just like how, how the whole situation is going to be like. And then on the other hand, like all those people came in like crazy musicians, amazing names to, to say bye to the owners and, and also to buy equipment actually, because they sold all their equipment so people came in and looked at microphones, you know, and wanted to hear hear things. And yeah, and then it was like, oh God, and I have to take care of the band. And oh, it was just a roller coaster for two days. <laughs> wow. Well, the roller coaster arrived at a really amazing record at the end of it all. Again, congratulations. Yeah, I'm super happy with it. Finally came out last year. And, and that took one year, you said? Yeah, over a year, actually. Wow. Yeah, because I had to figure out, I mean, by then I knew that I was going to come back to Germany and return to Germany. And for me, it was really important that I bring out the record in both countries or both continents in Europe and in America. But also, um, yeah, I couldn't make up my mind if I wanted to have a German label or an American label. What's the best, you know, business wise, what's the best solution? Um, how to promote the whole thing and so it took me a while to figure out and I um, sent it to different labels and then I sent it and I knew Greenleaf just through I mean I, I had so many records from Greenleaf music that I really really liked and um, of course Dave Douglas the owner he's an amazing trumpet player so oh I'm a huge fan yeah yeah I grew up great. on that guy's music oh yeah 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 he's in Germany a lot he's in he's playing in, in Europe a lot actually really so people told me that I should just send him the music that he actually listens to all the music he gets and uh, it's a small label but they said yeah just send it to him he's super nice and he's gonna get back to you you can you don't have anything to lose hmm. so I said oh I'm just gonna send it there and of course I didn't hear back and then I followed up and then he said 
yeah, but he, he still needs to listen. He, it's going to take a couple more months and everything, blah, blah, blah. And so I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, that's just like, you know, an excuse. And he's never going to approach me and this won't work out. Yeah, intimately but then familiar point, with that feeling. Exactly, yeah, it's pretty tough, actually, especially for your first record, you know, nobody knows you. And yeah, so anyway, at one point he called me and he said, man, he really likes my music and he's totally into the record and yeah. wants to meet me if, if, he, if he can get to know each other. So I went upstate, he lives upstate, and I, I went there by train and met him. And we talked about the record and what I wanted to do, what my plans were and all of that. Yeah, and then he finally said, yeah, he's, he would be happy to bring it out on Greenleaf Music and promote it and, yeah, and do the connection with Germany and, and Europe. And that was it. But then, of course, like the whole planning with labels, it's always really slow and they had other records that were going to come out first. Mm. So I had kind of wait that's why it came out pretty yeah like over a year later we recorded yeah that's so that's well. the thing about the whole release thing these days the, the strategies mm -hmm. that takes so long by the time the record comes out it's it's really it can be a, little, be a little challenging to still retain the connection which made the music happen in the first place yeah uh, although i mean yeah. in, in the jazz paradigm obviously it's 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 always being refreshed and reinvented anyway but mm -hmm. um um, if um, if I may ask, if, if you could summarize the essence of what Dave Douglas heard in your music to make that call, sign you on, what would you boil it down to? Um, he said that he, yeah, he loved the compositions and he thought that the compositions were really strong and there's, you know, like melodic approach and um he loved the band as well he knew some of the musicians he's good friends with rich perry and dan tapfer um so for him the overall package was just really really good and um they didn't have so many female drummers on the roster as well so it was just like you know, I have a quintet. It's with um, Rich is playing saxophone. Then Alex Goodman is playing guitar. Then Tepfer, usually Glenn Zaleski is playing piano. And Johannes Felch is playing bass. So it's a quintet. And um, a lot of the times he has like different different groupings and different instrumentations. So like this quintet that I had was just fitting in what he was looking for for a next release and he really liked the music a lot that makes a lot of sense yeah how did it feel to be to, to be acknowledged by a veteran musician like him i mean of course you were living in new york by this time so it wasn't the first time you'd encountered um, such well-known musicians but still to be actually knowing someone like him is investing in you what did that feel like i mean it was amazing of course i never even imagined that would happen it was yeah it was a dream come true honestly and um it gave me a lot of power of course and a lot of strength to to book tours and to keep going and to do the best i can to promote this record and um yeah and obviously I, I didn't want to since since dave didn't know me that well and he never worked with me before of course for him it was a risk Mm -hmm. um because he just didn't know yeah how how i would work so i really wanted to make sure that i work my ass off that he's really happy 
that all the result and and I booked a lot of tours and we played I think almost 50 concerts in the US in America Canada Germany and Switzerland awesome um, to promote the record and I really wanted to um, give him the feeling that he didn't that he shouldn't regret signing me on Greenleaf <laughs> and he didn't actually he was very happy with the result and he agreed of um, releasing the new record next year as well on Greenleaf beautiful yeah well to start off with that really warms my heart because um, I know you're a very hard worker and you've always been someone who's kind of done her thing without falling into the shenanigans which go about in the whole you know uh, whole music scene and everything even though I've only known you in a very limited phase of your life in a very limited geographical location so that really yeah. makes me happy secondly you refer to how that motivated you to kind of you know work harder in a way that surge of energy but would you say that that um, event, for lack of a better term at this point, had an effect on the music too and the way you played after on? Yeah, maybe, because I really tried to make everything perfect and to um, to give everything I can. So, yeah, I'm sure, I mean, I hope <laughs> that it had an impact on my music, on my playing. Yeah. And, of course, I have an amazing band with, with musicians that are that are just the best in, in their instruments. So I wanted to offer them um, good music and, and, a, and good tours to to be happy, you know, and to, to do the job happily. Mm -hmm. I ask because like, generally, as a, as, a, as a general rule of thumb, I guess we all know, at least the way I feel, well, artists, a part of them is always subconsciously, always, um, you know, waiting for a certain degree of validation at some level. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some go on to the darker side where it leads into some form of narcissism. Others struggle with uh, issues of self-worth. And for most of us, hopefully, we'll stay somewhere in the middle. So that acknowledgement of being signed on to such a legit label by such a respected musician and knowing that he believes in you, could you elaborate on effects it might have had on, apart from the fact, you know, the organizing and admin side of feeling the responsibility to organize gigs. When you went on those tours, because you're going on tours now, not as someone, not as a student who just recorded an album to graduate. Mm -hmm. Now you're a signed artist on a legit label who's been written about, who's been promoted and who's playing these gigs at, you know, as an established professional artist, for lack of a better term. So did that leveling up have an impact on the music overall for the whole band would you say or, it, or were you left unaffected by it completely i know different musicians react to it differently i'm just curious about yours yeah so in the beginning when i was uh, starting my band actually back in 2014 and then later when i when i started it again in 2016-17 um it had more an impact i feel like because i felt so much pressure um you know, being a drummer, being a composer, being a band leader, organizing and treating the musicians well and all of that. I mean, it's a lot you have to take care of. And um, then I felt like once I was sitting at the concert on the drums, playing the drums, I wasn't really able to enjoy it, actually, because I had so many things in my head. Ah, interesting. You know, like even... 
in the beginning, it was a huge problem for me to announce songs and to, you know, to have the microphone actually in my hands and, yeah, and yeah. present my music and, and the music. Because so far, I was always a band member. I was always in the background. Um, and now I had to show myself. I had to talk. And obviously, I had to talk in English, not in German. And it was New York. I mean, it was it's a city... <laughs> where all the jazz musicians come together. There were always a lot of jazz musicians in the audience. Um, so I was really intimidated, and I feel like my playing was suffering from that. So it it took me a lot of practice, actually, just doing it over and over and organizing more shows, not giving up to to be able to come over that. And then with the first tour that we had, it was in Germany last October, uh, the first release tour. Um, by then, I played so many shows already as a band leader mm-hmm. that I felt like I was more relaxed now. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks yeah. for sharing that, Marika. I think that's very valuable, valuable and vulnerable information that um, a lot of our listeners need to hear, especially uh, musicians and artists. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm. So, from that that point where you're, you know, struggling with your demons, till the point where you feel like, okay, I got this. How how long would you say that span of time durated? Well, it's hard to say because I, I took a long break from uh, composing. You know, when I when I graduated and when I had to take care of making money in New York, and also I wanted to be a band member and play with, with other great band leaders. So mm-hmm. it took a long time. But um, looking back, the amount of concerts, maybe you can measure it that way. Maybe I had to play, I don't know, um, 10, 20 concerts in order to relax a little more. Beautiful. No, I had to learn to trust my musicians. I had to learn to to really trust my band members. Um, Because I realized that this is actually the reason why I was so much under pressure because I had the feeling that I had to control everyone and kind of like, you know, like um, as a mommy or something like that, mm-hmm. kind of to guide everyone. But then once I realized this is not necessary at all and they are amazing musicians and then they take care of me and of my music. So well said. So, the way you refer to how your co-musicians take care of your music too it's not just you taking care of them all the time yeah and it took me a, a long time to learn that actually yeah i can relate to that it's it's a challenge it's been uh, i mean for me uh, I, I gave up trying to lead bands but i you know I, I spent a good chunk of my life trying to control issues were one of the biggest demons to deal with for me personally yeah the bands kept getting smaller and smaller until I was the last guy left on stage at some point. Um, I love how you gave the other perspective on trust and how it's also about the music which needs to be taken care of collectively as opposed to... You know, exactly, yeah. Very beautifully said. Thanks for that. Yeah. C- keep going. Okay, this is this is great. Please keep going. How, how did things progress from there on after the first tour? Well, um, yeah, so it was my first tour really organizing and my biggest goal always was to bring my band from New York to Germany. Yeah. And the problem was that I had five people and I mean, we are five people in the band, so it's pretty big. It's not super easy to bring them here. It's not uh, not a trio or something like that. Um, but yeah, as I said, I didn't, I wanted to present to Dave, especially to Dave Douglas. I wanted to, to show him like, 
okay, you know, you don't regret signing me because I have all these concerts lining up and I'm going to sell lots of CDs and all that. So it was, um, gave me a lot of strength when I really, really wanted to, um, to make, to realize it and to make it happen. So I worked my ass off just booking hours and hours and hours. And then finally I got a good tour with 10 shows, um, lining up. Beautiful. So we were going to Germany for 10 days, having 10 shows. Actually, by then, so that was last October. By then, I already lived in Germany, and it was way easier to book to book gigs here from here than from New York, just because of the time difference, and I was able to call people and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, I had to, obviously, I had to book flights for everyone. I had to organize a huge car because of the amount of people um, I had to do all the logistics, talk to 10 different organizers and promoters. Wait, and all of this was work you did on your own with zero outsourcing. Yeah. Damn, all that. respect. <laughs> Holy crap. That is, that is a, a, a mountain of work. I mean, much respect to that. I can only imagine. Pretty stressful. <laughs> I can, booking, a, booking an international tour with five international artists uh, and including flats wow that is a lot of work i mean i yeah yeah and but then once you know once it, it, i saw it, it's gonna work out i was like okay let's keep going let's keep going and I, I booked another tour for a week in canada um so then we went back to the u.s and we played our release show at the jazz gallery in new york and then we played a couple more shows in canada and and america mm-hmm. and so we had in total we had like I'm not sure, maybe 20 shows in, in the fall. Yeah. And and then from all the shows that actually didn't work out for that tour, I kind of rescheduled them to January this year. So just a couple of months later, you know, like you get a you get a response from a venue and they say, yeah, they're interested, but unfortunately for October it was it, it wouldn't work. Then I'll be back another time. So I, I immediately set another time frame to come back to Germany and play more shows. So they came back in January this year and we played, actually we were on tour for three weeks. It was my longest tour ever. Three weeks it was pretty intense. Sweet. And we played shows in Germany and Switzerland. Nice. How'd that go? Oh, it was great. It was amazing. And most of the concerts were sold out. And I, awesome. yeah, it was success and and yeah and then i took the the opportunity once we were on tour and all together i wanted to because you know now back in january i took the opportunity to try out a couple new new songs and since we were playing so much i wanted to take the opportunity to record again Mm -hmm. so during that tour during that three-week tour in january and we recorded our new album in cologne (laughs) Sweet. Yeah, and it's gonna come out next year on Greenleaf as well. Beautiful. Yeah, Cologne seems to be a great town for uh, for jazz generally, right? Would you say it's mm-hmm. the jazz capital of Germany? Could we say that? Yeah, Cologne and Berlin, I would say, but yeah. definitely there's a lot happening in Cologne. Yeah, love the city. Um, how's the reception been amidst audiences and press between Europe and America? And do you see marked differences in the way? people respond to your music between the two continents? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, Europe is much easier, easier to play, easier to book. You get more press, and um, yeah, it's it's that's why I, I fo- these days I really focus on on the Europe market because um, there are also more venues. America, of course, like jazz is coming from America, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have as an appreciation there as it has here, and there are not as many venues. You have to travel long time. So it's almost not worth the effort. Would you say it's a genre thing specific to jazz or is it like the concert in like the live music industry in general? I know that's a bit of a blanket question, but I'm still, you know. That's a good question. I I mean, live live concerts in general, but also jazz, both, I would say. Mm, Yeah, I mean, I guess under the current stages, it's anyone's guess anyway. Also, America doesn't have as much money for art, for art music. Right. So right. it's yeah, it's not as as easy for jazz venues to stay open or to pay well. Yeah, and I've I've heard um, I'm aware of the budget, the differences in budget, but I've also been told some of my colleagues say colleagues have also been based between uh, Europe and America that it's apparently easier for them to find their audiences and also uh, work on pri- you know privatized or you know independent gigs. There seems to be more of a scene of that happening in comparison to Europe. You want to comment on that? Um, well, for me, it was always easier to get gigs in Europe, but also maybe because I'm German, you know, and because I played a lot in Germany as a side side man, mm-hmm. a side woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so through that, I made I met different bookers already that I could could return to kind of now as a band leader. So I had already a some sort of a network nice. that I access and in America I didn't obviously so I had to start from scratch and I felt it was way harder to to access that scene in, in the US I understand yeah that makes a lot of sense I mean I know for a fact that you know, the experiences have always been subjective but thanks for that that was I really was mm-hmm. very curious um um, did you want to elaborate on that or uh, did, I, did I interrupt you? No, okay. <laughs> that's fine. Because uh, 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 here's a question, um, elephant in the room. Uh, I, I try and ask and address most of my uh, female guests on the podcast. Gender bias. And I approach this with a lot of caution because I know I'm not in any way qualified to comment on this anyway. But part of my agenda on this podcast is to inform my listeners on how that plays a role in our society, especially in the arts, and uh, how some of the experiences of my guests have been. Anything we can convince you to share with us in this regard? Um, sure. Yeah, in I feel like in New York, it's a big issue. Of course, it's a big, it's a huge topic over the last couple of years. Um, but I already said there are more female musicians in New York just because there are more musicians in general. Mm-hmm. So I really feel um, like in Germany, for example, it's more it's more special to outsiders to be a female drummer. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like I get lots of attention and, and especially from the audience, people say, oh, I never saw a female drummer in my life before. Really? It's like that. Oh, I, I hear it a lot, but not as much in the U.S. I feel like there, but that might just be because there are more musicians and because of that, obviously, more female musicians in New York. Hmm. 
Um, and there's a stronger community in New York, I feel like, but also because it's one city and you try to support each other and everyone knows how hard it is to survive in New York. So I feel like the community there is stronger than in Europe or in Germany. Hmm. But, yeah. but would you say you feel you also feel more accepted and comfortable as a, as a female artist uh, in New York than you do in Europe? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I really wanted to move back to Germany. And, you know, you get used to, to being by yourself as a female drummer. You're, I mean, I, I got used over the years to, to get, um, yeah, that people say, oh, yeah, I never saw a female drummer and, and stuff like that. So, May I ask you yeah. how that makes you feel? Is, is that Does that make you feel special, acknowledged, or does it feel weird that you're being looked upon as a woman drummer as opposed to just a really badass drummer? I mean, of course, it always feels a little strange um, because I never understand why there's such a big deal to be a female drummer. Yeah. You know, obviously, there are not as many, but yeah, whatever. Um I don't understand the hype, or not the hype, but um, yeah, the attention necessarily. Um, but as I said, I got used to it because it always has been like that, and um, yeah, it's it doesn't bother me. It's more like it's more like a fact. It comes with the job. <laughs> it's just you know, part of it. <laughs> so for, um, so younger female musicians, and I know you're very young yourself too, but even younger ones, like the ones right starting off in the musical career, who mm -hmm. might be getting irked or feeling slightly weird about these comments every now and then, what would your words of advice be? Um, I would say that the, the earlier you learn to not give a shit about the opinion of other people, the better. <laughs> Um, I would recommend to really figure out what you want and and don't get interrupted by other people who say something different. I think a lot of female musicians and especially the younger ones, they get intimidated by others really fast because obviously it's only, yeah, I mean, in Mannheim we were only three female musicians in the whole year. And, hmm. you know, once you are sick, it's only you It's you're by yourself. And if you have 20 men telling you what to do, obviously you get really intimidated. So the earlier you, you really figure out what you want, the better. And what are your words of advice to our dear male colleagues who are who have a penchant for mansplaining all the time? <laughs> Um, be kind and respectful towards other musicians. Actually, not only women, other other musicians in general. Okay, I feel like you're the one being kind, really kind here. Well, but I want to get treated kind as well, so I always try to 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 treat people the way I want to get treated. Love that, love that. That just speaks for you. Very beautifully put. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, no, thank you. Um, so. What was it? And we're tapering off almost to the journey that's been till now with your career, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So what was it? You said you want to move back to Germany. And what, what was the primary vehicle in this decision of yours? I mean, for a lot of musicians, like even surviving in New York, one way or the other is the whole dream. 
and you not only just su- su- survived, you you were oh, in the midst of thriving, and then you moved back to Germany. What happened? Well, um, as I said earlier, I always wanted to do my two years master and then go back to Germany. And I knew that long term, I didn't want to stay in the U.S. just because of the U.S. And Trump was elected for a couple of years and things were going down and money kind of disappeared for art. It was harder and harder to get good money for art and music. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the future for me personally is in Germany. I like Germany a lot and I missed Europe a lot. I missed, actually I missed traveling, although I was traveling a lot, but I missed traveling short distances. Like in, in the US, you have yeah. to, I mean, you can't even go to another country if you if you don't want to leave the continent. Yeah. In Germany, obviously you can, in, in one hour, I'm in Switzerland, you know, or Absolutely. who knows, in a different language with a different culture. And I really, really missed that. And I knew that um, I'm not cool with the American lifestyle long term. Yeah, the it American just, dream. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't exist. <laughs> In a way, I mean, it's, it's, I, I just knew it's not something for me. I never wanted that. And I, once I decided to stay, I, I wanted to stay because I wanted to, for me personally, I wanted to see if I can survive in New York. And I had a couple goals, musical goals that I wanted to reach. And once that was done, I was okay going back and bringing, you know, bringing my band back or bringing my band to Germany, bringing my music back and bringing my whole experiences back here to, to um, do whatever I wanted to do in Germany. Beautiful. Do you uh, plan to keep nurturing the relationships you've uh, formed um, in the US though in the, in the future? Apart from uh, apart from your work with the label, of course. Right. Yeah, I mean, so far I was going back and forth a lot, actually too much almost. I am um, in the beginning of my first year living back in Germany. I was going to New York almost every two months, mm-hmm. which was too much just because it's like, I mean, with the jet lag and, and all of that, it was taking taking a lot of energy and um yeah know the feeling yeah i tried to reduce it a little bit more um obviously i got more work also in, in europe and and have different bands here and tours so and now i was supposed to be back in april but then it didn't happen because of corona and now the whole i mean i don't know what's going to happen i still have my visa my artist visa mm-hmm. it's still valid for a year um, but never, nobody knows what's going to happen to New York right now. Things are looking pretty bad and I have no idea when I can return. I hope it's possible soon and my band is there. And so far I'm planning to bringing them here in May next year, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows, you know, with Corona, you can't predict anything <laughs> yeah anyone's guest right there well i'm very glad you're back it's great to have you back it's good to know you're here just putting out yeah. there and um well what's next for maraca Wiening? what's happening over the next few months apart from i know it's like you know, it's, it's a very strange time to try and predict the future but uh, touring and you know business apart mm-hmm. which area of, of your life do you feel you'd like to pay the most attention to over the next few months and years well, I still I want to compose more again. I mean, I've still been composing a lot, obviously, but I, I really like to get into composing for larger ensembles, for big bands and stuff like that. Beautiful. 
And I just want to keep going, honestly. I want to bring out my record, my new record next year. And I want to, I still want to connect both Germany and, and New York and, and bring my band here and, and go back and forth and just like keep that connection for the next couple of years. I'm, yeah, I'm putting a lot of effort in keeping the contacts and I hope, yeah, I hope that Corona is <laughs> eventually disappearing so I can keep going. But, um, yeah, so far, that's it. And before that happens, before travel, you know, traveling becomes easier again, um, mm -hmm. do you have any suggestions for musicians in general how best to not go mad and keep focused on their art? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's really tough these days to to stay creative and stuff. Yeah, I have a hard hard time sometimes to um, stay positive and creative these days. Actually, what are your tools to deal with that? Um, well, I try to talk to a lot of friends and mentors. Also Guillermo Klein, I talk to him a lot, and he's very good in focusing and and motivating yourself. So I'm trying to listen to a lot of music. I'm trying to talk to lots of friends and also really what helps me a lot is to make plans for the future mm -hmm. to, to have a goal that I can work, work towards too. Yeah. Goals. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Well, thank you, Maraca. That was beautiful. Where's the, where's the best place for listeners to find you? On my homepage, of course, mareikewiening.com or on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, all of those places. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I can only repeat uh, for the people listening to this, you you really want to go support this artist because it's in everyone's best interest. I'm a huge fan. Thanks for coming on, Mareike. I look forward to... Uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to a lot more music from you. And um, FYI, the links to all your work will also be included on the episode notes as well. So listeners, please do go check the episode page. And uh, yeah, anything else you'd like to add before we taper off? Well, I, I would like to thank you for the invitation. It's oh, it's my pleasure. Talk. It's my pleasure. This is one of the things about this podcast. It's given me the chance to reconnect with a lot of people I've yeah. met in the past. At some point, I realized, wow, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm super blessed to have met a lot of people in person who just really you know followed their heart and you know living their um hearts calling i had the privilege of really you know meeting some really badass musicians these past few years and felt like uh and some of with some of whom i've also had like really meaningful conversation and it felt like something um i'd like to share with the rest of the world you know the world could do with positive conversation and in the current side guys have felt so it's it's great to reconnect and uh thank you yeah that's great um i did thank a you. i did a shitty job of uh <laughs> explaining what it was i was trying to get at right now but um long story cut short stay in touch and um all the best with things to come <laughs> thank you you too gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out this is a labor of love one i hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating and having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect much love talk soon just another voice that is